0: with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: And a Tuesday after 9 hour, we we'll are start in the host chair as usual. And got a familiar face across from me again this morning. Bob Gammer from BC Hydro. And I think we mentioned this the last time you were in, Bob. But it was three months ago. I'm <laughs> guessing even more so now. You're sort of betwixt
2: and between in your jobs over there. That's right. Uh, thanks, and good morning, Alan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, transitioning over to Site C. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been doing that for a few months now <laughs> and enjoying that new role. But uh, still a foot in the old job, mm-hmm. which is the manager of Northern Community Relations. Yeah. Now, thankfully, we have uh, my replacement uh, in the office, working right <laughs> now, and so we're very happy with that. Mike Kellett okay, came over yeah. from the city of Prince George, and uh, where he was in the communications shop there, and uh, so he's now joined BC Hydro. So we're very happy to have Mike on board. Good. So now,
1: let's get right to it then. We're mm. going to be talking again sort of about a few different things about Hydro, and one of the things is we're into July, people mm. going on holidays, Indeed. When, before they go on holidays, if they want to save money on their power while they're gone, what are some easy things that they can do where they can maybe disconnect certain things that aren't going to be affected?
2: So what we often will tell people is if you're looking to save energy, we would encourage people to put a lot of their gadgets or appliances on a power bar, uh, which you can turn with one click. You right. can switch everything off at the same time. But at the same time, there are certainly some things you want to keep connected. And so you're just going to have to understand you're going to have some kind of a, a base load or, a, you know, a, in the background, a certain amount of electricity you're going to consume all the time. And uh, you do that when you're home anyway, uh, say when you're sleeping at night, most things are shut off, except for mm-hmm. things like your deep freeze, your refrigerator, uh-huh, yeah. maybe your security system. And so those things you don't want to leave no. un, you know uh off because they can provide you with uh, a lot of peace of mind and uh, certainly um you know uh, depending on how long you're away for uh you know some of the basics of life uh just ready to go as soon as you get back home yeah. Because
1: I'm sure we've all heard the stories about the p- person who, okay, I'm leaving for a couple of weeks, and disconnect you know, some stuff, I'll take this one out, and then they find out when they get back. That was the deep freeze, and yeah, uh, yeah now they have a big mess.
2: <laughs> yeah, but you know, if you have things like a clock radio, or maybe your TV, or your stereo system, mm-hmm. or your gaming system that's just on a standby mode, it is using a small amount of electricity just in the background, 24-7, and those things do add up. And this mm-hmm. is what we've encouraged people now for decades through our PowerSmart program. Is though, you know, if you want to save money on your bill, and you know, it's a great idea to just unplug those things, or or if you do have them on a power bar, then just one switch and yeah. you've got those turned off, and that does save a few bucks. And uh, you know, at a time when prices are rising and money's just a little tighter, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a few bucks makes a difference. So it's it's something to consider. But yes, there are some kind of basic items in your home, you want them on, and you're just going to have to accept that they do consume power, and that is going to cost you. But that's that's the price of peace of mind.
1: Yeah.
2: Now, I know one thing, because you're talking about security systems, mm-hmm. and I know
1: one thing that some people like to have as sort of a security system, if they're going to be gone from home for even just a couple of days, they will wire up a timer to one of their lights, say in the living room, mm-hmm. and have it come on at a certain time. And then shut off again. Is mm-hmm. that still a good idea? Like it's it's yeah. going to be using a little bit of power, but yeah.
2: But again, you know, it's the like I was saying, it's the cost of of just having that peace of mind, and mm-hmm. and you know, those lights are on. Let's say they're on for a few hours, and then they go off, and so it makes it look like there's activity, and somebody's yeah. still in the home, and and really even even at where the price is and it's uh, for the step 1 rate it's about 10 cents a kilowatt hour and when you think okay so that's a 1000 watts yeah. burning for an hour and you know with led light bulbs you're talking about a bulb that might be maybe 6 to 12 watts mm-hmm. it's going to take a long time <laughs> to get to um a 1000 yeah. yeah 1 kilowatt hour so that it's okay it's yeah. it's totally fine and it's worth it actually i would say mm-hmm. yeah so now if you're le- it's not so bad
1: this year so mm-hmm. far because mm-hmm. we have not had the extreme heat we had last year. Yeah. But if I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks should I be looking at maybe Turning off or really turning down, say my air conditioning unit, so it's not coming on every day.
2: Yeah, I would say so. Turn it down. Um, you know, uh, if you've got a programmable thermostat, which we encourage people mm-hmm. to do uh, because of the benefits it can pay, f- uh, you know, year round. But there's a great thing to to put it on if it has a holiday setting. Uh, it may keep uh, your temperatures, uh, you know, or your, sorry, your keep keep from cooling your home yeah. too much, mm-hmm. or um, if in the other times let's say you're on a winter holiday keep from heating your home too much while you're away so yeah absolutely um some gas uh fired hot water tanks will have a holiday setting maybe some okay. of the electric ones yeah. too i have a gas heated mm-hmm. uh, hot water tank and there you know there's a holiday setting you can just switch it to so it keeps the hot water it's sort of warm but it's you know yeah. it's it's not burning the energy like it was when you are home and so there's a savings there as well and again, that, is, especially if it's your
1: air conditioner, that's one of the things mm. you probably want to remember to turn on as soon as you get home, probably, yeah. because otherwise yeah, exactly. there's a good chance your house is well, going to be fairly warm. Well,
2: just like when you're uh, away from your house at work, you know, <clears> again, <throat> with the programmable thermostat, but you, you know, you might want to have your house warm and comfortable when you're home. <clears> when <throat> you're away for eight hours at work, you know, there's no sense heating your home or cooling your yeah. home at that time. So programming things to Give you the comfort you want when you are home. That's mm-hmm. the thing to concentrate on. Okay.
1: So, again, if you're on holidays, find the holiday setting or just turn it. I guess if it's a heater, you would turn it up to tell it to come on. Say if it was coming on at 68.
2: Yeah, You'd want
1: right. to turn it, tell it to come on at 72, say. About
2: there, a few yeah. More, a
1: few degrees exactly. warmer. So. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So now, obviously, then, there's no sense, if you're going to be gone for... A week or a couple of weeks, there's no sense calling BC Hydro and saying, I just want my power shut off. No,
2: you, know? you don't. Um, I mean, we will disconnect you for various reasons, mm-hmm. um, but it's typically short. Like, let's say somebody has a long driveway, and there's a lot of trees along the driveway. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some of them are getting old or diseased or, you know, they kind of started to break during mm-hmm. the last windstorm. And so, uh, you're afraid that it's going to fall in that line from the pole uh, that runs from the pole to your house so we will drop that service line that's the service line is the yeah. last that last run of wire to your home right and yeah. we can come in we'll for free um but by appointment um mm-hmm. we'll we'll drop that you can come in with your you know chainsaw or maybe you've you've hired somebody to bring the tree mm-hmm. down and we'll they'll look after that then we'll come back and we'll hook that up again and that's at okay. no charge okay so we'll do that up we'll do that once a year for free yeah yeah okay but otherwise, no, let, yeah. do not get do not get your home disconnected no. um, because it's it's more trouble than it's worth, and you know for reasons we've said, most people will have some appliances or systems that they will want to see running all the time, yeah, yeah
1: now, one other thing that I noticed in the news a few days ago was BC Hydro is going to be doing a fair bit of work in the city on mm. the light poles. That's right. So, so what, what's the idea? And, and it's. You guys look after one type of light pole and
2: the city looks after another? That's exactly right. Okay. So um BC Hydro owns about ninety ninety five thousand street lights in the province. Oh, okay. <laughs> and in Prince George, um it's been reported that we're gonna replace about two thousand six hundred of those lights. You can tell what's a BC Hydro light as opposed to a city of Prince George or a Ministry of Transportation and mm-hmm. Infrastructure light. The BC Hydro lights are on wood poles. And oh, okay. they typically have have power lines on them as well, right. whereas the city pole or an MOTI pole is a metal pole, so it's what we call ornamental. But anyway, just yeah. metal and wood—that's the differentiation. And so we are changing out the L- the um, the old high pressure sodium lights to the newer technology LED street lights. The city and MOTI have already made switches. I'm not yeah. sure if they've completely switched over everything, but but LED street lights are already part of our everyday existence here. Mm-hmm. Prince George but hydro is just getting started with that now after a a number of years of research and testing so we're at the point where we can do the wholesale change and it takes a while to roll out across the province two or three years to to change all of those Mm. lights so in Prince George it's going to take several months uh, it might extend into next year, but, you know, it will take a while, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll get it done. The reason is that um, there is a federal uh, uh, environmental standard that means that we have to remove everything that's got PCB in it. Mm, and yes. in the light ballast, uh, it does contain PCB. And okay, so by 2025, so, uh... that has to be out of the system. So uh, we're getting on with it now, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll have these... Uh, uh, we figure we'll have I think all of the LEDs in the province switched out by twenty twenty three or twenty four at the latest. Mm-hmm. So we're in we're in good shape. Yeah.
1: Now are they are the hydro lights concentrated in certain
2: areas of the city or are they pretty well spread out throughout? They're spread out everywhere, okay. really. Yeah. I mean, wherever you see wood poles and power lines, mm-hmm. you know, there's almost always a street light somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so there's, uh, yeah, they're just, like I say, dotted everywhere. So, okay. so you will see crews working in every neighborhood. Um, some of them are hydro crews that are doing the work. Mm-hmm. Some of them are contractors to BC Hydro that okay. are doing the work as well. And, uh, you know, I mean, they'll, uh, you know, the nice thing about LED streetlights is they have a longer lifespan, mm-hmm. so they don't have to be serviced as often, and uh, they use less energy. So they're more energy efficient, and uh, so they bring a lot of benefits that way. Yeah. And, of course, uh, you know, from an environmental point of view, they're also, um, you know, uh, they, they meet federal yes. and provincial standards, so so we won't have any issues there. Which is kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. No one thing we,
1: we i touched on a little bit when we were talking about um being gone for the holidays and turning down your air conditioning unit even though it's not as hot it isn't as hot we haven't yeah. had the heat dome this year yeah so has that been noticed at hydro like are are you noticing less usage of power?
2: Well certainly, yeah, that's correct. We we have not used as much power. Last year with the heat dome, we set an all-time record for summertime power consumption. And uh, so that was quite significant. It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't as high as what we will see in the wintertime. The wintertime no, record is still about twenty-five percent more than <laughs> what we saw during the heat yeah. dome. So we are a winter peaking utility. Um we use most of our electricity in the wintertime for light and heating Um, in the summer though it's changing and it is increasing as we see you know the signs of climate change we have more people needing air conditioning and more power for that so we are like i say hitting these record levels and last year is now the new standard for summertime peaks now with
1: that with (coughs) less usage
2: because I seem to recall last year at one point we were in, we were talking
1: about the fact that there had been a lot of power outages simply because of the strain being put on the system. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing we're not seeing that as much this year either.
2: No, yeah, no, it's it's definitely lower. Um, we are seeing outages. Uh, we've had, a, like, say, in the north and, and even in the central interior here, mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of power outages due to lightning. Oh. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, we we will um, uh, in most cases be able to get power back on from lightning fairly quickly. Because Because we have protective equipment on our system that, uh, opens the circuit, trips off the the power. And, uh, so it protects the equipment. Now, sometimes there will be a direct hit of lightning on a, on a device and that can be damaged. And so that may take longer to restore. But most of the time, the protective equipment does its job and we can, um, you know, flip a switch, so to speak. We can restore power fairly quickly.
1: So it's almost like hydro's got this great big fuse box in the
2: province. And
1: every once in a while, yeah. one of the breakers trips,
2: yeah, that's somebody right. has to go out and that's right. flip it back. That's right. So we'll manually reclose something, and, <laughs> and, and then we're good to go again. Yeah, yeah. Now,
1: what's the biggest outage that you can think of that we've had in the northern region this year? Because oh. you just said, that, you know, I know downtown Prince George, I think, got hit by one a few weeks ago.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's... Um, I guess in one sense uh depending on the size of community uh mm-hmm. proportionately yeah. uh you know an outage to a couple of thousand customers could mean the entire community and uh, for example Fort St James was knocked out uh, just a couple of days ago Ooh. uh again suspected uh lightning mm-hmm. and so uh you know that's 2600 customers that's that's everybody yeah. in Fort St James and the indigenous communities around Fort St James uh so you know Whereas we might have 2,600 customers out in Prince George, that's a little more than 5%. Yeah, it's one, it's one small part yeah. of the community. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I mean, we lost might,
1: power out in Heart Highway. Exactly. Yeah, and that's, so, just, that's it, but there's 2,600. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, okay. I mean, we, we have seen some of that. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, nothing, nothing like, um, what was it about September of 2020? I think we had a massive blackout to pretty much the entire north from about Quinnell <laughs> northwards. Wow. All of the yeah. province was out. Uh, so, you know, we, we do have those situations, but those are really rare. I mean, yeah. lo- those are once-a-decade type mm-hmm. outages. So Okay, and that one was
1: only, you said, two years ago?
2: Okay, so we're safe yeah. for well, a few yeah, more about, years. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, in a case like that, was it again a single cause? Like, was it a transformer that...
2: Blue um, and? It was a couple of things that worked together. Uh, we had a, a transmission line out of service. Uh, we had, um, a lightning strike and, uh, you know, I mean, so a couple of things kind of combined to cause a situation where what was left in service got knocked out and, uh, and so everything just cascaded and it was out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully that does
1: not happen again for some
2: time. Exactly. For a very long
1: time, we hope. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Bob Gammer from BC Hydro, as always, a pleasure. And let's see, about another three months, so you may be back in three months. Yeah. Keep an eye on Mike. I could be. Or yeah. you might figure, no, he can
2: fly solo now. Mike is great. Mike. Yes. well, you've talked to Mike. Yes. So, so, uh, you guys are old pals. So it should be fine. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Bob Gammer, BC Hydro, thank you very much as always. Alright, take care. Take a quick break and hopefully be back to talk about dance after nine.
0: Hello, I'm Carlos Nunez, the Galician Piper.
3: Nunez.
4: Hey, this is Tim Brennan with the Dropkick Murphys. Hey, this is Dave King from Flag and Molly. Sean Smith from Lunasa. Karen
3: Casey here. This is Ian Byrne from the Elders. Join me, Patricia Fraser, for the best Celtic music mix, in a Twist,
4: Canada's contemporary Celtic radio hour, Kelton a Twist, with your host Patricia Fraser, Tuesday nights at eight, following Fiddle Fest with AJ here on ninety three point one CFIS FM. Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open six days a week in the Q three Creative Business Hub. Stop by and check out his great assortment of books, magazines, DVDs and collectibles Monday through Friday between 10 and 2. Ron's Hole in the Wall is also open during the Q3 Community Market, Saturdays from 8.30 to 2. Drop in regularly as there's always something different in store. Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open Monday through Saturday in the Q3 Creative Business Hub. Downtown at the corner of Quebec and Third. Are you a leader who wants to take their leadership to the next level? Do you have an emerging leader on your team who needs support? At Pivot Leader, our leaders in business program combines leadership training with one on one coaching to help leaders just like you. You'll learn how to deal with people better, handle conflict, hire and keep staff, delegate more effectively, read financial statements, and learn coaching skills to move your team along. There's a less stressful way to improve your outcomes. We can show you how. If you'd like to be a better leader, reach out to us today at PivotLeader.com. Pivot Leader will help you grow, train,
1: and sell your business. Forecast from Environment Canada. A few showers ending this morning, then cloudy with a 40% chance of showers. Wind becoming south 20 in the afternoon, a high of 17. Tonight, mainly cloudy, a 30% chance of showers, and south winds becoming light this evening, a low of 10. For Wednesday, mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of showers and the risk of thunderstorms in the morning. Wind becoming southwest 20 gusting to 40 late in the morning, clearing in the afternoon, a high of 19 with a high UV index. It's After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And uh, on the phone now with Shelby Richardson from Method Dance Society. And now before we get into what you've got coming up, Shelby, what is the Method Dance Society? Because I know you've been around for a couple of years, but there's been this thing called COVID, so people might not have figured it out yet.
5: Uh, so um Method Dance Society is a non-profit registered charity. We are a professional performing arts organization that specializes in contemporary dance. So so what that means is we provide a platform for professional contemporary dancers and choreographers to both practice their work and produce new work.
1: So you're not a school, then, as such. You are a studio. You are like a movie studio, almost.
5: Sort of, yeah. It's, it's very similar to to like organizations like Theater Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not a school. So we're not a training organization um, in in that sense. We're actually uh, basically a platform for choreographers and professional practicing artists uh, dance artists to um, you know create new pieces uh, create shows workshops those types of things
1: so there's no is there any sort of a schedule with Method Dance Society then or is a lot of it coming and going except for the workshops obviously but is a lot of the rest of it just the different members coming in and working on things
5: yeah, yeah. It's really like an artist hub, if you kind of think mm-hmm. of it that way. Um, and so lots of the work we're doing right now is project-based just because we're such a new organization. Mm-hmm. But we're we're trying to facilitate some regular annual programs now, which is really exciting. Um, we do a lot of uh, community engagement-type workshops. We work with the school district to do performances in the school. Um and so, yeah, there's not a tight schedule per se. I mean, the dancers have regular classes that that they attend to kind of keep up with their practice, but most of the work is project-based.
1: And so now, are a lot of the workshops that you put on, again, aimed at that sort of shall we say, higher level of dancer, like the person who is already a professional dancer and maybe wants a workshop on how to do choreography and stuff like that?
5: Yeah, so those are some of the workshops we do. We also do a lot of youth workshops as well, Mm -hmm. where we reach out to youth. Um, So it's kind of multifaceted. We have all different types of workshops. We also have community workshops that are aimed to anyone in the community. We normally do those Um, between February and March of every year, Mm -hmm. and those are uh, aimed at just, you know, getting the general public involved in contemporary dance and movement.
1: Now, a lot of people might be hearing that and going, okay, what is contemporary
5: dance? Yeah, so, well, the wonderful thing about contemporary dance is it's anything. (laughs) So, from walking in the grocery store to, you know, doing a 100 pirouettes in a row. (laughs) Uh, Contemporary dance can be anything, but really what it is, is it's a very exploratory process in movement, Um, and it kind of came out of, you know, a reaction to the very uh, strict technique involved in ballet. Uh, That's kind of how modern dance and contemporary dance evolved, and so that's why we say it can be anything, because really it was a reactionary uh, movement
1: in dance so it's to dance what free verse is to poetry
5: yeah sure exactly
1: because poetry usually has certain rules like it has to rhyme set number of lines and stuff like that and free verse came along and just said we're going to do what we want in yeah, that sort exactly. of young okay. exactly yeah so how difficult is it then at method dance society do you have a lot of the members of the society who are doing different things with their dance or are a lot of them sort of on the same page, even if it's not traditional page?
5: Um, lots of, so we work with different choreographers uh, this coming year. We're hoping to bring some choreographers from other uh, rural areas of the mm-hmm. province as well. Um, so we really work on a regional level, but Many contemporary, practice, contemporary dance practitioners have their own methodologies that they use in performance. So there's a lot of different ideas and movement uh, processes that uh, are individual-based. So the choreographers or the facilitators of workshops um, have different ways of, of doing that. So for sure, they're all different
1: so when the choreographer is working on a new performance and they're running into some problems how easy is it for them to come to other members of the society to get help because they may not be in that same sort of space when it comes to dancing
3: um do you mean
1: if i'm do if i'm working on the choreography for a production that i'm going to be doing yeah my the what What I'm looking at as the dance is probably going to be different from what other members of the society even look at as dance. So how easy is it to sort of translate problems from one person to another?
5: Yeah, so sometimes it can be hard, Mm -hmm. Um, but what is really nice about the, the dancers that we're working with is that they are so versatile. And they've got, Prince George is such an amazing community for that in terms of versatility. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a wonderful, you know, combination of training organizations here in dance here in Prince George, and so our dancers are really, really versatile, and they're really open to trying new and different things. So I think that's what's key when you're trying to evolve um, your practice and you know, move into something that might be uncomfortable is just keeping an open mind and really taking the time and space to learn together and collaborate.
1: So as a contemporary dance practitioner, I guess I would say, how difficult is it for you to keep evolving and not fall into sort of the same set patterns with your choreography?
5: Oh, yeah, for sure. So that's part of the reason that, um, you know, we created Method Dance Society because, um, being up in Prince George, it's a lot harder to get access, um, to, you know, new shows from different dance companies and all those types of things and getting, um, you know, exposure to new and different uh, artists throughout Canada and the States in terms of choreography and to gain inspiration. So, Part of of the reason we created Method was so that we can bring in different practitioners and do different types of collaborative workshops to kind of really evolve our practice over time and change um, the way we look at contemporary dance. So we're all learning and evolving over time.
1: How much has the Internet helped you in that sort of thing? Because I'm thinking with Zoom and with video, you would be able to, You wouldn't necessarily have to bring people from Vancouver up to Prince George. You can watch them in Vancouver.
5: Yes, 100%. It has been so helpful. And I think the pandemic really uh, shifted our focus in terms of accessibility to the art, especially where we are in Prince George. Uh, COVID really challenged us to use the internet to think differently about how we learn. And so we had access to a lot of practitioners um, from Vancouver to Prince Rupert to China that could, you know, zoom in, work with our dancers, work with our community members and um, teach them about contemporary dance.
1: Okay, Shelby, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to take a trip down to Shakespeare City after nine.
4: The Seniors Resource Centre has plenty of programs and support services for those 55-plus. An affordable lunch can be delivered through Meals on Wheels, non-medical needs can be covered through Better at Home, and the Housing and Community Navigator can help locate housing or other valuable resources. Call 250 564 for more information or stop by the Prince George Council of Seniors Resource Centre Monday through Friday between 9 and 3 at the corner of 7th and Victoria. Vantage Point
1: is transforming not-for-profit leadership with a host of downloadable resources. A young professional guides to all things not-for-profit provides a non-exhaustive list of links, programs, and resources on a variety of topics related to starting and building a career in BC's not-for-profit sector. This valuable download and others are available free through the downloadable resources page under media at thevantagepoint.ca. Downloadable resources for your not-for-profit organization. Another way Vantage Point is transforming not-for-profit
4: leadership. A powerful art installation originally slated for the Exploration Place Grand Reopening is now on display in UNBC's Teaching and Learning Center. The Witness Blanket from Master Carver Carrie Newman recognizes the atrocities of the Indian residential school era, honors the children, and symbolizes ongoing reconciliation. The Witness Blanket is available for public viewing during regular office hours in the atrium of the Teaching and Learning Building at UNBC. Learn to make summer tea with the latest Iceberg installment of Food is Medicine on YouTube. In Part 3 of the Tea with Fee mini- mini series, Fiona will show you how to create her favorite summer tea with natural ingredients like rose, calendula, St. John's wort, and mint. This wonderful mixture will help support your digestive system and lift your spirit. Check out this and other installments from the Food as Medicine series on iSpark, Indigenous Sport BC channel at youtube.com. Featuring the people who
0: make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: So, Shelby, we've been talking a lot about Method Dance Society and how your instructors are sort of working on choreography. And this weekend, people are going to get a chance to see how some of you have been doing that, because you're making a trip to a rather special place.
5: Yeah, so we have a show coming up called Shakespeare City at Theatre Northwest this weekend. Mm -hmm. And we are just so excited for this show um, it's something completely different um, that, from what we've done in the past. Um, it's a real collaborative piece of different choreographers, different dancers, and um, musicians uh, as well. And so we are just so excited for this show. It uh, takes place pretty much in this kind of post-apocalyptic world of um, Shakespearean misfits. So, it's a real exploration of different Shakespearean characters through contemporary dance.
1: Okay, now you say Shakespearean misfits. So, who are some mm-hmm. of the characters people are going to be seeing?
5: So, we'll see some, you know, renderings of Puck and Hamlet, but also we have some, you know, uh, folks who are focusing on different aspects of one character. So, when some. Pieces you might see two versions of Juliet, for example, um, which is really, really quite interesting.
1: So now, is is Shakespeare City then um, something that has been done before by other groups, and you guys are just doing it now, or is this something that's sort of original with Method Dance Society?
5: Oh no! This is completely original. Oh, okay. Um Yep, yeah, we have uh, created all these pieces. They are largely influenced um, by a composer. His name is Moon Dog. Um, okay. He. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but he's a really amazing jazz musician um, who was in New York in the 1960s.
1: So now, so is a lot of the music then in Shakespeare city jazz based and the choreographers are sort of working from that.
5: Yes. Yes, it, it is. It's very largely jazz infused. There's a little bit of classical mixed in there as well. Um, but it is really based on kind of, uh, Moondog's uh, trajectory of music.
1: So now, how long have you guys at Method Dance been working on Shakespeare City? Because it sounds as if it was an idea that somebody came up with, and then everybody has to sort of get involved.
5: Yeah, so we started working on Shakespeare City, I think around February, actually, starting to focus in on the choreography for it. Okay. Um, and basically, there, there's a group of choreographers, and we came together and kind of talked about different ideas, different characters we wanted to focus on in our pieces, and it just evolved through that, that process.
1: Now, do the pieces, as the choreographers came up with them, reflect the characters, or are they sort of looking at the characters in different ways? Because, like, Hamlet, I can't see Hamlet doing a jig. <laughs>
5: Well, he does. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's really, it was different for each choreographer. They each kind of took a different take on what,
3: mm-hmm.
5: on what they were looking at in terms of the character. Um, I know it, uh, largely it was a reflection on the story of the character and how the character kind of developed in terms of looking at themselves. So it was very introspective that way. And so it really, there's different meditations on the reflection of the character.
1: Now, were there any fights between the choreographers in terms of who was going to get to work with each character?
5: No, <laughs> no, no. Um, we we all get along so amazingly mm-hmm. well. And it's really neat, too, to see, you know, if two two choreographers are focusing on different renderings of Juliet for example, it's quite interesting to see
1: so were there any characters, when you guys started with this idea, I'm sure you probably had an idea in your mind that you knew who you wanted to work with, but you probably had an idea on some of the other characters that you figured other people would take, was there anybody who was left out that you were kind of surprised wasn't picked up by one of the other choreographers
5: Really, I don't think so. I think all of us kind of had different thoughts on characters we wanted to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for for myself, I had very clearly right away in my pi- in my head a picture of um, a kind of uh, a rendering of Puck mm-hmm. that I wanted to use as almost like um an mc for the show okay. so Puck is the one who welcomes you into the show and kind of gets you ready for the rest of the performance
1: so now is that is Puck then a speaking role are there any speaking roles
5: no there are no speaking roles there are occasionally some vocals mm-hmm. um, that happen throughout the performance um but no there is no speaking
1: Wow. Okay, so everything is done by dance. And I guess that means it's up to the audience as well to interpret what they're seeing.
5: Exactly. And one thing I try and do in my practice, and I know lots of other choreographers as well, is we try not to create too much of a narrative around, and we really like the audience to kind of develop the story for themselves.
1: So now, is Shakespeare City then one of the things where you're putting it on this weekend is it something that you could see the society sort of working on and maybe a couple of years down the road re-presenting it?
5: Um, maybe. I think what we're, we're focusing on right now is always creating new content mm-hmm. um, and working with different choreographers. One thing we will be doing with Shakespeare City is possibly going on tour regionally. Yeah. Um, and so that's something we're kind of in the thought process of is taking it to different communities um, throughout north central bc so they can get a chance to see it too
1: okay so shakespeare city on this weekend what are the times for the shows
5: so we have a show this friday at 8 Mm p.m saturday we have a matinee at 2 p.m and we have another show saturday night at 8 p.m.
1: And now, I'm guessing this is a family event, right? Like, it sounds like because because you're not using some of the Shakespearean language, that might be a little bit too much for little kids to be able to comprehend. Because it's all dance, it's family-friendly.
5: Yeah, it totally is family-friendly. Friendly. Um, we're really excited. We have uh, Justin Gendro, who is also Hi. a part of the show, and he has his drum kit. And it's just a really fun, interactive uh, performance piece.
1: Okay. Now, Shelby, if people want tickets for Shakespeare City, how do they get them?
5: So you can get them either by going online to Theatre Northwest website and mm-hmm. purchasing them there, or you can head over to Theatre Northwest as well and, and pick them up there if that's easier.
3: Okay.
1: Shelby Richardson, Method Dance Society, thank you very much for taking us on a very quick tour of Shakespeare City. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Take another break, and then we're probably going to be heading out to the airport. Every day is a great day to discover downtown Prince George, and this summer there's some new energy on Downtown Summerfest Saturdays. Every Saturday from 8.30 to 2, check out the 3rd Avenue Markets, the Q3, Wilson Square, and Prince George Farmers. Plus this Saturday, enjoy live music at the Wood Innovation Square from 11 to 3, and look for Downtown Summerfest Saturday specials at your favorite restaurant or cafe. Eat downtown with this week's Downtown Summerfest Saturday.
4: The Alzheimer Society of BC is continuing in-person education with accessing services Wednesday, July 20th at the library. Learn about community supports like home care and adult day programs, as well as how to address challenges and work with health care providers. To register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. Accessing services Wednesday, July 20th from 1 to 2.30 at the library from the Alzheimer's Society of BC.
2: Learn the key to engaging the right fit for your board with Vantage Point's Board Fundamentals, Succession and Recruitment, July 21st. In this three-hour evening workshop, you'll move beyond recruiting the average applicant by creating a strategic framework to identify, recruit, and develop the talents of board members. Registration, cost, and full details are available through the calendar link under training at thevantagepoint.ca. Board Fundamentals, Succession and Recruitment, July 21st from 5.30 to 8.30 through thevantagepoint.ca.
1: Forecast from Environment Canada. A few showers ending this morning, then cloudy with a 40% chance of showers, wind becoming south 20 in the afternoon, a high of 17. Tonight, mainly cloudy, a 30% chance of showers, and south winds becoming light this evening, a low of 10. For Wednesday, mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of showers and the risk of thunderstorms in the morning. Wind becoming southwest 20 gusting under 40 late in the morning, clearing in the afternoon, a high of 19 with a high UV index.
0: Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS FM.
1: We are now going to take a trip out to the Prince George Airport. Chrissy Berry, the manager of community relations for the Prince George Airport Authority. Good morning, Chrissy. Good morning. Now, let's start big picture. Is the air, I'm taking a wild guess and saying the airport's a fair bit busier now than it was a few months ago.
3: It certainly is, yeah. We're definitely seeing it be um, busier um, month over month uh, as we've gone this year. So certainly more flights, more passengers, so all good signs for us.
1: And now, the number a lot of people concentrate on, of course, for good reason, is passengers. Are you also seeing, like, has there been an uptick in uh, cargo coming into the airport and leaving?
3: Um, We don't have as much information on that as, say, the passenger numbers, Um, but we kept our cargo program um, going throughout the entire pandemic.
1: Yeah, I guess you pretty well have to, because a lot of that stuff was sort of essential supplies, wasn't it?
3: Absolutely. Through the pandemic, we really focused on those essential services, so bringing the cargo um, and then other things that happen at our airport that are essential services like medevac flights, semi air tanker based help with forest fires, all of that kind of stuff.
1: So now you're saying you're seeing more passengers. During the time off, shall we say, to put it in a rather polite form, did the airlines coming into and leaving its, what, YXS is the name out there? It is. Yep. Did the airlines that service YXS are they have they added some more flights, some more destinations that people can get to?
3: So they've certainly added more flights. I mean, if we're talking about sort of the off time 2020 mm-hmm. uh, when there wasn't really a whole lot going on, um, we've seen tremendous growth since then. But we've even seen an increase in air service from June to July. The uh, In terms of new destinations, the Flare Air is coming in December, and they're going to be running a seasonal route to Tucson, Arizona. Oh. Yeah, so you get there in four hours, uh, which is lovely, instead of having to route around and it potentially mm-hmm. taking 11 or 12.
1: And I guess the other thing that's kind of nice about Tucson is I think there's only an hour time difference, so you don't spend th- three days trying to catch up on the clock.
3: Actually, I believe we have the same time oh, as okay. Tucson. Um Even though, but Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> because I know um that is a problem that I've heard some people talk about again and they're getting used to it again now is when they take the longer flights, they'd forgotten what jet lag was like. Yes.
3: Yes. We uh we've all we're all a little out of practice when it comes <laughs> to travel at this point.
1: Now what is happening at The airport, just so people know before they go out there, what is happening in terms of COVID regulations? Like, do you still have to wear masks on flights and stuff like that?
3: Yeah, so actually, masks are required um, the entire time that you're in the airport terminal um, as well as on the aircraft. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can obviously remove them for brief periods to eat or drink, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, the mask mandates are still very much alive uh, in the airport world or aviation world in general.
1: Okay. And now I know you used to be do. I think there used to be um, a group set up out there that would do COVID tests. Is that still happening?
3: No. So Whitecap uh, Medical was the one that was out here doing COVID testing for us. Um, and they have closed when... Um because Transport Canada came in and they removed a lot of the restrictions. So there used to be a vaccine mandate to travel. and um, There were testing requirements for certain places. And there are still some countries that may require COVID tests. So really, if you're going to be traveling outside of Canada, you really want to make sure you know what your, country, your destination country's entry requirements are. Um, but a lot of places, like the United States, for example, have relaxed that. And so... There just wasn't as much demand or as much need to have that facility on site.
1: So if you're traveling inside Canada or even down to the U.S., you probably won't need your vaccine passport, but it might not hurt to bring it just in case.
3: Absolutely. And international travel is always a bit hit or miss because those those regulations could change at any time in other countries. And we won't get that information as quickly as we would about changes within our own country. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Now, are are there any flights from Prince George that are not in Canada or the U.S.? Are there any other countries that you guys service?
3: Not at this time. So you'll probably remember pre-COVID, we did not have a flight to Puerto Vallarta, Mm -hmm. and we're always looking for you know, those extra flights, being able to get people to those sunspot destinations. But at this time, just within Canada and then over the winter, we'll be into Arizona.
1: And now, are you guys getting a fair bit of interest from people saying when are you going to start opening up more flights, which of course isn't up to you, it's up to the airlines. But are you getting that interest from people who want to get traveling again?
3: Absolutely. There is definitely a pent-up demand for travel. I mean, after two years of not being able to go, Anywhere other than for essential travel, uh, the demand is definitely there, um, and we are getting a lot of that messaging, asking for flights to places like Mexico, um, somewhere warm, somewhere people can get away, go <laughs> on vacation.
1: As opposed to if there had been a lot of travel last summer where people would have probably been saying, I want to go somewhere cold.
3: Absolutely, yeah. Somewhere they can go and explore, but maybe not melt.
1: Yes. Okay. Um, Chrissy, we need to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about the fact that even though they don't fly anywhere except Canada and the U.S., they still need some ambassadors out at Prince George Airport, and we'll talk about that after 9.
4: Mark your calendar on Thursday, November 3rd for Advocate Life and Education Service's annual Celebrate Life Gala. Enjoy an amazing dinner and hear from special guest speaker Rebecca Hagan, one of today's youngest speakers on the issues of teen pregnancy, abortion, and abortion pill reversal. Check out the gala website, celebratelifegala.ca, for more details and to get your tickets. Advocate Life's annual Celebrate Life Gala, Thursday, November 3rd from 7 to 9 at the Civic Center. Prince George men now have their very own Men's Shed, open Saturdays from 9 to 2 at 2816 Norwood. All men are welcome to stop by for coffee, camaraderie, and carpentry. Learn more about Men's Sheds through the website men'ssheds.ca. For more information about the Prince George Men's Shed, call Craig at 250-565-7569. The Prince George Men's Shed, now open from 9 to noon, Saturdays at 2816 Norwood.
1: The Alzheimer's Society of BC has continuing online dementia education programs. These free presentations offer small group information workshops facilitated to provide opportunities for live discussions.
4: Caregivers are encouraged to take in Focus on Behavior, Bathing and Hygiene to explore strategies for managing bathing and hygiene changes Wednesday evening from 6 to 7.30.
1: Registration and full details on this session and others are available through alzbc.org. More information is also available through the First Link Dementia Helpline.
4: Stop by for a taste of the past Saturday at Hubble Homestead, a celebration of heritage food skills that promises to be delicious. Watch and help staff as they make classic food items like cheese, butter, ice cream, and pierogies, then enjoy samples. If you miss out on the tasters, try again on Homestead Days, July 31st or August 1st. Taste of the Past, Saturday from 10 to 5 at Hubble Homestead, 40K North, off Highway 97 on Mitchell Road.
0: This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: So, Chrissy, I was mentioning before the break that even though you guys only fly to Canada and the U.S., you still have, you still got some ambassadors out there.
3: We do, yeah. Um... So,
1: what... What is the role of an airport ambassador?
3: So, there's a few things that go with that program, um, but really they're kind of the first um, impression of Prince George when people arrive, especially people who are arriving from outside of Prince George. Mm-hmm. So, a big part of their role is to create those travelers that are coming in, helping them with wayfinding around the airport, you know, also talking with meeters uh, and greeters, so those waiting to pick people up who might not know where the washrooms mm-hmm. are the rental cars, or things like that, um, looking at whether or not a flight was delayed, and then the other part of that is we have a couple of partnerships, so one of them is with Tourism Prince George, and they provide us with brochures for things to do in Prince George, um, all kinds of things around the province and the region, um, so that people can have that information at their fingertips, so they do stock up those brochures, and then The other partnership we have is with Gingerbread Toys, so they actually provide a play area in our arrivals area for children, and uh, in exchange, we stock their uh, catalogs there as well.
1: Okay. So now, who is this designed for? I guess first question that some people might have, is this a volunteer position?
3: It is a volunteer position, yes.
1: Okay, so it would be a good thing if you could work it out around your school schedule. This would be a good way for students to pick up volunteer hours.
3: Absolutely. So at this time, um, you do have to be 19 um, Mm -hmm. in order to volunteer, but we are super flexible. I mean, we have flights that start at 6 in the morning Mm -hmm. and they run until, you know, 10 o'clock at night. And so any point during that time when there's flights, their shift availability.
1: Okay. So how long is the average shift? And are they there all day? Even if there's no planes coming in during a specific time, are there still ambassadors at the airport?
3: Well, it just depends. So right now our program is quite small um, just due to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. A lot of volunteers that we had before are no longer available. Mm -hmm. So we're working on building that. The average shift is about two, two and a half, maybe three hours. Um, So it's kind of what you're looking at. Now, Again, I mentioned that we can be super flexible. So I have had people in the past that do want to be there for a full day. And you know what? I'm okay with that if that's um, where you're at. So we do have the occasional time where there are ambassadors when there are no flights. And a lot of that comes from cancellations or delays or things like that that might occur outside of our control.
1: And that would be the time, especially when the ambassador would be going around, checking to make sure the brochures are in place and looking good, checking to make sure the catalogs for the toys are in place.
3: Absolutely,
1: yep. Now, you're saying you have to be 19 to become an airport ambassador. Is there an older age limit?
3: There is not. So a lot of our volunteers in the past and currently have been seniors, and uh, we welcome people of all ages. Now, what do
1: you need to be a volunteer? Like, obviously, it helps if you're friendly and aren't growling at people when they get to Prince George, but um, how much knowledge about the city are you hoping that the ambassador has?
3: I mean, the more knowledge, the better, Mm -hmm. obviously, um, because we're looking for information, however, you know, we really encourage our ambassadors to read some of the publications that we're offering about Prince George, about the region. And so for those who might not have as much knowledge as others, it's a really great way to gain that. Yeah.
1: Now, the 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 things you get from Tourism Prince George, I'm guessing most of them are brochures about, um, like, tourist destinations in and around Prince George. Do you get a fair bit of information as well on, like, say, events that are happening this weekend, say?
3: It's something that we would be looking to expand on. It's something that we used to have um, prior to COVID. Um, Due to COVID, we've had to sort of change the location Mm -hmm. of that ambassador booth just to be able to put those safety precautions in place, the plexiglass and all of that. And so it is something that I'm hoping that we can work towards again. There used to be a kiosk that had community events on it. Mm -hmm. Um, So at this point, it's not out there um, as easily accessible as it used to be. So, yeah, primarily um, around Prince George, and then a lot of things in Prince George, so Cottonwood Island Park, Mm -hmm. lately to May Park, um, you know, mountain biking, hiking, all of those things that Prince George is well known for, Mm -hmm. all that information is there.
1: So the ambassador thing, from what you were saying then, is it sort of a based position? Like, is there a desk or a kiosk that the ambassadors are at, or are they roaming?
3: So a bit of both. So there is a a desk, um, kiosk-type thing, um, our information desk. Mm -hmm. And so the ambassadors have a choice. They can either remain at the desk, behind the plexiglass, um, if that's what they're most comfortable with, and have people approach them. They are absolutely welcome to roam the terminal, chat with people, um, you know, go out of their way that way to provide that extra level of customer service. But ultimately, it comes down to their comfort level. Okay.
1: And now, obviously, they have the same rules. They have to wear a mask. So, know that going in. Um, is there usually just one ambassador at a time, or do you tr- or do you like to have a couple?
3: So, generally, we have one. I mean, the goal would be to have enough volunteers that we can double up and all of those things. Um, but we also have um, a couple that volunteers together. Okay. So, there's always the two of them there together.
1: Okay, so that would mean that, for instance, one of them could stay at the kiosk and the other one could be out doing the little sort of odd jobs that the ambassador has to do.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. Now, if people are interested in becoming an airport ambassador, how do they do it?
3: So, it's actually me that they would need to contact. Okay. And so, um, by phone or email, either is is totally fine. Yeah. Um, we do have an ad in the paper right now as well. So, the phone number for those who are interested mm-hmm. is 250-963-2431. hmm And then the email address, if that's how they would prefer yeah. to get a hold of me, is C, as in Chrissy, and then Barry, B-E-R-R-Y, mm-hmm. at pgairport.ca.
1: .ca. Those are the things you always have to check on. Yeah. Now, Would you have a problem if somebody was interested in becoming an ambassador, gave you a call and said, can I come out to the airport at some point where there are ambassadors there just so I can get an idea for what they do?
3: No, that would be perfectly fine. So generally what the process is when someone approaches me and is interested is I do meet them out at the airport, Uh and I want to do a walkthrough of the terminal with them, kind of get them familiar, and I want to show them the Uh booth. So, you know, here's what's in the information desk, here is exactly kind of what we're looking for. Um, And you let them get a feel for it because as much as there's sort of that interview process of me interviewing them, Mm -hmm. they also need to interview us and make sure that we're going to be a good fit for something that they would like to do.
1: And now you were saying most people, most of the shifts are two, two and a half, three hours. Do you ask the volunteer to commit to a certain number of shifts a week?
3: I don't. So we do... um, want to be as flexible as possible, mm-hmm. especially because people are donating their time to us, and we're really appreciative of that. Um, and so any I've had some people that can only come every other week, and you know what? I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. We just work it out based on what their schedule looks like and then go from there.
1: But you would prefer, obviously, if people could say, I can do these hours on Monday and Thursday every week.
3: Sure. I mean that certainly makes it easier and lets me know um sort of where those gaps still exist and where we have people already in.
1: And now is the if somebody suddenly if somebody wasn't scheduled to volunteer, let's say, this Friday, and something came up and all of a sudden they are free, should they get in touch with you or should they just show up?
3: They can absolutely just get in touch with me okay. and then um yeah, that's could be a problem. We can talk about it and go from there.
1: And again, even if they're doubling up, you were saying that's not a problem. Having two ambassadors is never a problem. Exactly. Okay. Chrissy Berry with the the Manager of Community Relations with the Prince George Airport Authority. I'm hoping you guys continue to get busier and busier as we come out of this situation. Yes, us as well. Okay. And thank you very much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Okay. That will just about do it for uh, today's After 9. Just a quick reminder, the BC Summer Games are, what, a week and a half away, and I don't know if they're still looking for volunteers or not, but they can never have enough volunteers. So get in touch with them at bcgames.org if you've just realized that you do have some time for each July 21st to 24th. That'll do it for Alan Wishart today. Kylie Lewis-Holt is in tomorrow, After 9. After Nine is a weekday
0: presentation of CFISFM. After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair, with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca.
2: Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at
4: 93.1 FM.